Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends of the pod, to another episode of Cult and Classic. This week's theme is Turn Off That Idiot Box. Uh, which you, if you don't know, idiot box is another phrase for the television, although I think it's being replaced by the laptop. Uh, with me, as always, is myself, your host, Nate Wyckoff, and we also have Tad Mastriani. How are you doing, Tad? Sup, scrubs. Uh, and I, Greg Johnson. How are you doing, Greg? Uh, good, but I, I took your uh, turn off the tube thing seriously. I actually didn't watch either movie, so. Ah. <laughs> Mandy Longley. How are you doing, Mandy? Good. I'm nice and cozy down here in my soundproof laundry bunker. I was going to say. For those, those of you that do the video. Yes. If you if you guys, uh, we've launched our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Colton Classic Podcast. There are three tiers. I promise this will be a short spiel. The first one is a dollar. It gives you access to videos of all of our podcasts. You can see our beautiful faces and often those of our interview guests. Uh, you can do $5 a month, which gives you access to the videos plus any other special content, extra things that we put out, and an autographed custom Colton Classic trading card every month to your door. The third one and the final one is the Drinkers of the Kool-Aid. That's $10 a month. And you get the card, uh, access to the videos, and you get a, a zine or zine, if you prefer, every month. Those are those little self-made publications that uh, we make. And they are super awesome and super different every month. So check that out. Patreon.com slash Colton Classic podcast thank you so much for the patreons who are already members so the two movies i'm super excited about these the two movies that we have for turn off that idiot box are videodrome by david cronenberg with james woods and debbie harry fantastic movie in my opinion but we'll see what everybody else thinks and then terror vision which is uh, another classic uh, by ted nicolau who uh, was doing this for full moon video super interesting watch so uh, we've got a request. Thanks, fans, for giving us requests and tips because we love it and we listen to it and we do this for you uh, to give more synopsis of the film. So I'm going to go into Videodrome. This is a tough film to give a thorough synopsis of because it is a little bit off the rails. So anyone who's familiar with David Cronenberg as a filmmaker knows that he is sort of the progenitor of body horror in the U.S. Uh, that's the stuff like weird mutations and, and he really likes the uh, crossing of technology and human personality. So he messes with that heavily in this film, Videodrome. Uh, James Woods plays the head of a small uh, 
it's sort of like a, it's not a pirate station. They don't have them so much anymore, um, but it's sort of that Z grade television station that used to exist in the seventies and eighties where they played really off the wall stuff like sex, violence, weird things. So he's got this small station. He's trying to find the weirdest, edgiest stuff he can put on it to make a name for himself and the channel. And he comes across a pirate video broadcast of what looks to be a snuff film. And it's called Videodrome. And there's no plot. It's just people being uh, uh, whipped and abused in a strange room and then ultimately murdered. And he doesn't think it's real, but the sources that he uses to track it down tells him it is. Turns out it's this crazy uh, signal called the Videodrome that uh, is, is used to control people's minds. And a group wants to take over his station in order to uh, essentially make the terrible people that watch his filth uh, whack themselves or do whatever uh, they want them to do. But there is a trick is that he sort of learns to control this new flesh as they call it. It's really bizarre and it's totally off the wall and I absolutely love it. Let's go first to Greg. What did you think? First, did you have any thoughts or knowledge of this film going in? Um, I didn't. Um, I'm actually trying to think of what Cronenberg movies I've seen before. Um, so I was There's excited most- to... Yeah, his most famous one would be the remake of The Fly with Jeff Goldblum. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've definitely seen that one. Um, uh, I I wasn't a big fan of this. I, <laughs> I I thought it was boring, which utterly shocked me. I came in to a Cronenberg movie with James Woods, and I'm thinking like this is going to be an absolute treat, and it felt like it just spent the whole time kind of reaching somewhere and then pulling its hand right back and. Yeah, until the yeah. end, I would just kind of, you know, bored. <laughs> it does. So it is interesting that you mentioned that. It has these weird scenes, not so much of extreme violence, sort of weirdly realistic violence, like in the video drum whippings and things. Um, but then also this really crazy special effects body horror. Like there are scenes where... Uh, James Woods, he essentially becomes controlled uh, by the Videodrome people through a sort of vaginal looking uh, tape deck insert that grows in his stomach and it appears and disappears. And you're told that these are delusions, but you don't know how much is a delusion. Uh, And at one point he gets his own hand stuck in there with a handgun uh, and he has to pull it out. Really weird stuff. And even with that, the tone of the movie, I don't think is very tense. Um, I think that it's a very mellow tone and it can, uh, my wife watched it with me, Corinne, and she, uh, she loved the beginning because the, the character actors are so strong. Um, and then as it went on and got to sort of the, the crescendo, it slows down and you kind of are waiting. You're like, okay, well now he's going to go here and shoot this person. And it takes longer. And I think that that, it's not a long film. Um, I think it's somewhere in the 90 minute, a uh, hundred minute category. Um, so let's see. Yeah, it's nine. It's ninety-seven or six. Excuse me. It's an hour and twenty-seven minutes. So it's actually fairly short. Um, although if, there are uh, several versions. If, if Eyes Wide Shut was a little bit too uh, fast-paced for you, maybe oh, took no. out video drum. That's brutal. That's brutal. Tad, what did you think going into this film? Um, the the only Cronenberg film I'd seen, even though I was well versed in his uh, his body of work, pun intended. Ah is um is the fly and to this day i will not sit down and watch the fly again it was one of the most disgusting movies i'd ever seen in my <laughs> life considering that again i'm i may have mentioned it before but when we watched dead alive while i was eating a bucket of chicken that didn't bother me the way the fly bothered me but this movie um i dug this movie because this movie is one of those that 
you watch it now and it's just as relevant. Actually, I think it's more relevant now than it was back then. Back then, people didn't really know what to expect with the internet mm -hmm. and uh, the depths of depravity that the internet would provide everybody. So this movie didn't even understand that it was predicting the future, except it didn't realize that TV was going to die and it was going to be replaced by something way worse. So yeah. that's... So this is interesting to talk about because the, the, the focus of this is televisions, but um, there's sort of the good character who helped develop Videodrome, who is actually dead uh, partway into the movie and you don't know it. Uh, he goes by essentially a screen name. They don't call it a screen name, but he goes by uh, Professor Oblivion. And essentially he's like, my real name is irrelevant. And he runs uh, this mission with his daughter called the Cathode Ray Mission, which I fucking love that. Um, it is the cathode ray is, of course, the type of tube that was in our old big box televisions. Uh, and the idea he had is that by basically taking in vagrants and people off the street and homeless individuals uh, and giving them a few hours of television a day, he would prevent their mental decline and tie them into uh, society and keep them tied into society, which is an interesting idea. And you do, I don't know, where I am in Palm Springs, it's, there's a lot of homeless individuals because there's no winter, even though there's a blistering summer. And it seems like the longer people go without what we would consider normal interaction, they really do have trouble reconnecting uh, with the world. And so you kind of wonder, like that's, that rang true to me. I don't know how anybody else feels about that. But to get to the bigger point with the internet, the internet is credited with being started uh, on a small scale, like 1983, I think. Um, but it didn't technically go live to like the populace till 1991. So this movie, uh, 86, and some people say 87 when it, when it aired, the, the idea that television and the screen is connecting us is really crazy because it's sort of, it's easy to watch this movie and think, oh, it's the beginning of the internet, we knew it. Yet people didn't know about the internet as a whole during this film. So I thought that that was an interesting uh, bit as well. Mandy, what did you think going into this film and what was your take? I had no expectations going into this. I had no idea, except that we were watching movies about TV and how it's bad for you. <laughs> no, um, I get that sense from the, um, like the images, like the, the poster images that you said. So watching this movie, um, I gotta agree with Greg. It was not for me. Did not like it. Uh, didn't like the tone. Didn't like kind of the vilification of like BDSM interests kind of thing because it that was more talked about than like just murder <laughs> that was happening. Um, and yeah, it, like I thought it was. I thought some of the ideas were very interesting, especially like the mind control aspect and like him overcoming that, bringing around and then like the visualizations, like you said, like his little tape deck thing, like going into his stomach, like was very like interesting. Um, but overall, like just like the pacing and the tone of it, it just wasn't for me. So it's interesting you brought up the BDSM element because it's sort of, it's brought up in it almost goes away, right? And I think, I, I don't know that I would agree that it's a vilification because, uh, so the main progenitor of this is one video drum, The Signal, where they watch people get whipped, which is very sterile, right? It's a one camera in a room. It looks sort of like what we, if we haven't seen one, uh, what we imagine those, those awful um, uh, ISIS execution videos to be, right? Like it's just one person in a room, one camera, and our one victim in a room, one camera, and several people abusing them in like big hazmat suits. And um, 
but then we also have Debbie Harry's character, famous lead singer of Blondie, uh, who, by the way, I think does a fantastic job acting in this film. It's always shocking to me when I see a performer from a different genre, different medium sort of transition into film pretty easily, it seems. Um, and she uh, seems to have this fling with James Wood's character, and she's super into um, sadomasochism. It's not even so much bondage, just sadomasochism. Um, she has him pierce her ears uh, while they're having sex, uh, and eventually she burns herself with a cigarette on the breast. And it's sort of, I actually sort of liked the. <sighs> I liked that James Woods character as the male character who runs sort of a sleaze station is not the one that's comfortable with sexual violence or violence in the sexual realm. And the female character is the one that is. Now, I think there can be a problematic thing with that, which is sort of the uh, over-sexualization of a woman, whereas if sexual depravity happens, it has to be on the woman. But I think so often we would default to thinking that he would be the one that's into this. And yet he's actually not. And she's really seems uh, interested and turned on by Videodrome, uh, the tapes, whereas he's got a disturbed fascination. He clearly is interested in them um, and likely in a sexual way, but it, it upsets him that he is. Um, and I think- Yeah, I would say that, yeah, he maybe came up as upset, but also cautious mm -hmm. and possibly knowledgeable or like having a good street sense about it mm -hmm. um, and the whole Videodrome tie-in aspect. Where she, I felt she came off as somewhat naive and uh, a bit unbalanced. Um, in, in uh, what well, you don't say, yeah, <laughs> yeah a little right. bit, um, a little bit not all there. Because uh, like, at some point she wants to go right audition for this show. Well, she does, and I think that that's not so bad in like some senses. But she seems like she's doing almost to just goad him. Um, well, the interesting and, thing too, and this yeah. is a spoiler, right? Is that um, and remember. We will give spoilers on the show for the purpose of critiques. I, at no point in time, give spoilers that I think make the film not worth watching if it sounds interesting. There's a lot to every movie, even the dumbest movie <laughs> that I have viewed, where it would be impossible for me to explain everything about it that might be intriguing to a viewer. That said, we're told later uh, by the daughter of uh, Dr. Oblivion, or Professor Oblivion, that this character is actually dead. She was murdered on Videodrome before, and she was recorded and given to, or shown to uh, James Wood's character to give him hallucinations that she's having an affair with her. So all of his interactions with her after he appears on a television show with her at the beginning are theoretically complete fabrications, um, which does make it then call into question the purpose for a lot of that too, um, mm -hmm. because she has these... I don't exactly know what her interest is, except to get him more involved in it, but he seemed pretty involved to begin with. Um, I guess the idea is that because he doesn't want anything bad to happen to her uh, and he's afraid that Videodrome is more than just a fake abuse show, um, mm -hmm. that he then seeks it out more fervently. Um, but it does sort of seem like maybe he wouldn't even need that impetus. He seems quite interested in this program to begin with, right? Yeah, he's like, I mean, he's into it. He's trying to get it on his TV station. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, like, I think what I didn't like is, like, I, it's totally cool. He's interested in that. And she's exploring that as well. What I really didn't like is, like, they were saying, like, oh, we're gonna go after people that are interested in this content and, like, mind control them. Oh, like, sure. This is what we're using to bring it in. And, like, that's how I meant, like, the vilification. Like, I didn't really like, it was oh. like, oh, like, you're the target audience, so you're bad. 
and like but there that's, are people that were good. And I would it. argue that they're not really the good guys that are using the station, right? <laughs> like they're. Oh, he does not come off as a good guy at all. Like the. Uh, sort of nobody the does, right? Yeah. Except for yeah. So let's listen to this one. So um, this is uh, the character Marsha talking to James Woods, and Marsha is uh, a fantastic, fantastic um, uh, actress, Lynn Gorman, who she's been in tons and tons of things. Um, she's Canadian, and she plays the old um, woman who she's a finder for these videos for his channel. So she brings him, you know, these softcore porn videos of weird types. And basically early on in the film, she brings in this, this sort of faux Roman Greek um, orgy video that's very tame. And he's like, I'm looking for something else. Can you track this video for me? And she says, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And then they have lunch uh, at, a, at a Mediterranean restaurant where there's belly dancing. It's very, there's lots of interesting sets in this, uh, in this in this film, and none of them are very high expense, but I appreciate that Corman made the effort to make these scenes and sets unique. Uh, but this is them talking about Videodrome. Here we go. Get in touch with a friend in Pittsburgh. In a way, at a distance, a subterranean grapevine. Yeah. Max, Videodrome is something for you to leave alone. It is definitely not for public consumption. <laughs> Channel 83 is a little small to be considered public. It is still too public. Do you understand me? No, what is it? What's the punchline? I think it's dangerous, Max. Videodrome. Why? But it's mafia? They do business. It's more, um, how can I say, more political than that. So what are we talking about? Videodrome. What you see on that show, it's for real. It's not acting. So this first off, I just want to say that that's a case of a really great character actor stepping into role and sort of owning it. Like the little touches, like when the waiter comes over, uh, at one point she's like, you owe me for this, Max. And he's like, uh, anytime shower together anytime you want and she goes you're a little old for me and of course she's like twice his age uh, or 50 percent more uh age than I he is i absolutely love that that was, that it's was a fantastic so touch and um, i i want a whole uh, prequel movie with just her to just her right she's so yeah. owned it she so owned it i absolutely loved it um and but that was an interesting i like the this sort of reminds me you know we discussed um uh a in a much less realistic way. Obviously, this is a very magical realism film, but it sort of has that vibe of a weird, um, gritty 70, 80s New York City in the way that um, Cruisin' did, where we see little bits. In this case, I think they're probably a little less realistic, but we see bits of him walking through the street and the people on the street. And it's just, it gives a very strong sense of not now. Like, I did not feel like this was a contemporary film. Um, and I don't know if anybody else felt that way as well. And perhaps it's also because they constantly are showing television screens and obviously the television screens are very early eighties models, right? They still have the faux wood grain front, you know, they still have knobs and scan line, uh, scan lines and, and, um, vertical hold, things like that. And so it gives it this sort of antiquated, but still technological vibe that I thought was interesting that would be harder to do now. 
it's a the whole movie's lo-fi without really even trying especially because the movie's all about uh, you know it, it feels like a hallucination because of the way it's filmed and the way the characters act and just the way the lighting and the the, the, the sets are designed this also reminds me about the fact that this is the movie now I know the context uh, there was an old you're the man now dog from I don't even know how long ago uh, it was uh, James Woods smacking the woman to um, can't touch this by MC Hammer. <laughs> yes. And now I understand. And when I saw the scene, I was like, okay, this scene makes much more sense. And you find out he didn't slap her at all. And then I was like, oh fuck, what is going on with this movie? Right. And um, and that's his uh, his assistant, um, who I think uh, was played by Lolly Cadeau, I think. Um, and uh, she is that correct? I'm not sure, but. Uh, the names unfortunately this is one of those films where uh people will absolutely correct me on this and i welcome it so please do but she she plays his assistant and she's great and she's got only a few bits um but they're pretty strong uh she actually opens the movie on a television screen she brings him uh a wake-up message about the day on vhs every night so he can watch it when he wakes up instantly in the morning. It's like his alarm clock. Um, and it's sort of this interesting high-tech, it's this high-tech morning in a low-tech way as far as we're concerned, you know? Like he actually has to physically put in a VHS and program the time on the VCR to wake up that way. Like it's a manual process for a technological advancement. It's just very strange. But it also sort of, I feel, works to the advantage of the movie uh, it's movies like central premise, right? Like my wife's complaint, I think is that she's like, it's high on concept, high on visual qual on like visual and character quality, low on plot. And the plot is very ephemeral, very see through peer through, right? Like the end of the movie is essentially James Woods. We assume hallucinating. We don't really know. Um, becoming an assassin for this evil group using Videodrome, but then breaking the programming we think, uh, and becoming sort of their, their, um, their downfall, and then shooting himself in this scene where um, he, he's talking to uh, uh, Debbie Harry's character through a, a video screen that may or, not be there, may or may not be there, probably isn't there, and he shoots himself in the head and, before say, and then says, long live the new flesh, which is a famous quote in the cult field now, long live the new flesh, meaning he's advancing to the next stage of evolution, you know, some sort of technological being uh, that is, is more effective than humans. Now, the irony is, of course, is that we don't know if he just killed himself or not, right? Like, we don't know, did he, did he ascend or is he just some lunatic who's been brainwashed in like an old tanker who just shoots himself in the head and that's the end of the story? Um, there's all sorts, if you go online, there's all sorts of interesting plot reads. Like, there's people thinking, oh, well, when he breaks the programming from the evil video drum guys, it's, he's really just been reprogrammed by uh, Professor Oblivion's daughter, uh, who he was supposed to kill. And she's just programmed him to kill himself, thinking that he's going to the next stage. So there's all these interesting things. It's one of those movies where it's very open. There is no right or wrong answer. Um, they could be proven one way or the other. Is it um, theme I've seen uh, a few times mentioned that it's, uh, it's basically a movie about themes with no payoff. But the payoff to me was really sitting down and thinking about like what technology has done to us. I mean, the whole plot of the evil, whatever organization it was, was that they were trying to call the weak because they felt that the, this mass media had, had 
we that we've been force fed for already like what two three decades was keeping people docile and weak and he said he said in the movie like the rest of the world's getting harder we're getting softer mm-hmm. and it's like that's still an argument that's going on today especially sure. on the weird fringes of the internet and and it's so funny to um any it, it's an interesting dynamic and i don't think it was it could have been explored more um which is that that's like their ultimate plan right like they killed so the the characters we're talking about the ones who who we know about that use videodrome are um these two guys who run Spectacular Optics, I think it's called, uh, which is essentially an eyeglass company that also makes things like military guidance systems. Um, and they have this signal that can program people via TV, which is um, their susceptibility is heightened by being shown violence, which is why the Videodrome TV show was created or the episodes were created. And the, the one that helps them create it was this Professor Oblivion, but he wanted to use it to sort of advance mankind to the next stage of their evolution. And so they killed him. But he, you know, continues to meddle by having recorded tons of videos that we don't know what's really on them or not, because half the movie is a delusion. So it's interesting that the same, that that something that it was potentially, we're told, created to advance mankind in a progressive sense is being subverted by these essentially short-sighted hardcore you know neoconservatives right like uh they're like um oh these people watch porn Mm, we're gonna wipe them off the planet with this video signal and we need you to do it like it's this weird uh turning this progressive tool to the opposite uh use um and i'm sure that there's more subtext in there uh that i'm missing perhaps because um i maybe because we're not part of the Canadian scene, we're all from the United States and, you know, this is a Canadian production. Um, so, or, or it could just be that it's about the sort of hardcore, um, heavy law enforcement eighties. Uh, and so I think that that's an interesting thing to consider, although I don't think it's fully explained it also from a video game standpoint, anyone that loves hotline Miami, um, they took, they took liberally from this, uh, movie as well, because that's full of those weird signals controlling people um 80s cold war vibe uh bizarreness and and i totally love it and anytime i can think about that game makes me happy um since you brought up video game comparisons i was actually kind of thinking as you were elaborating on the plot and kind of the themes um the game bioshock and kind of this idea of Mm. all these people getting meddled in scientific endeavors that maybe we shouldn't have Right, you know, dived into, and no one's really right, no one's really wrong, but we need to get this science like the fuck out of here. Yeah, like it's sort of it's a, it's a weird. You could say it's a weird new take on the whole um, playing God thing, right? It's the Frankenstein monster. Um, in this case, Videodrome doesn't seem to be an entity so much as it's a tool that entities are using, but it's insidious, right? There's so many things that, and it's definitely supposed to take you to the place where, um, oh, we all, especially if the people that would go to see this movie are somehow interested in depictions of violence, right? For one reason or another, whether it's entertainment or excitement or horror or any of these things, we're we're enticed by that or excited by that, um, whether in good or terrible ways. And you're essentially watching it and being told that, hey, what if there was something that 
preyed on your desire to see this in a way and and turned you into the thing that that no one wants to be and uh and i think that that's one of those sort of mind fuck elements here um that said i do think that this film has a distinct first half and second half and that the pacing radically changes and i don't know i don't know how that could have been avoided but i feel like it could have been transitioned more because i feel like the people who want sort of a thriller are really engaged for the first half of the movie because he's tracking down this signal. You've got these great character actors being all these weird parts. And then the second half, when he sort of is uh, aware of the conspiracy, he's then programmed to be an assassin. And then we have him slowly walking and going in and out of delusion and shooting people and then slowly walking and then you know, being shot and then the ending. So it's like this, it's, it's really, we know it's sort of like we've spent the first half of the movie trying to figure out what's happening and not knowing what's going to happen next. And the second half of the movie, knowing what's going to happen relatively, at least for most of it, and waiting to watch it. And I think that that shift is problematic for some viewers um, who aren't as patient. And that's not a dig on non-patient viewers. It's more of a dig on the pacing and the fact that they were like, okay, well, this works, so we're going to do it this way. But is there a better way? Maybe if we had another two years of development you know um oh, jeff was here to rewrite it for us i know uh, our, <laughs> our our, our uh, longtime contributor jeff tucker is absent today i think he uh got sick of my film choices and uh and refused to be a part of it um but no i i think and just to to round out the cast sonia smith's um very beautiful, excellent actress played the daughter of uh, Dr. Oblivion, Bianca Oblivion. And then um, Peter Dvorsky plays Harlan, the the uh, member of the Videodrome cabal who um, pretended to find the, the episodes and initially exposed James Wood's character to it. He actually died at 70 uh, last year in March. And he was a fantastic actor. He was in the, the 83 version of Dead Zone. He's been in, uh, I can't even, I can't even think of all the films he was in up into the early 2000s. Uh, he was in Twins. People might recognize him from that, um, but he's he's a great actor, and and uh, I miss seeing him around. Uh, last last points on this movie that I would like to give is I thought that the physical effects in this movie were phenomenal as you said tad the fly remake is so gross it's it's because it's well done right this yes. movie had super creative yet low budget effects um there's the famous scene where um uh, james wood's character is watching a videotape um or a video conversation as it turns out with um debbie harry's character and it zooms in to her mouth and it's saying come to the tv kiss me come to the tv and the tv screen appears to bulge out and he comes in and it swallows his face uh, and there's a couple of scenes there's a gun that comes out and it looks like static and then it, the static goes away and it looks like flesh and that's all done uh which is brilliant they took basically a hollowed out or, or or fabricated television box and they put a flexible mesh on the front and projected the image on the back uh, and then could could do whatever they wanted with it um, or the front. They might've even projected in the front at some point, depending on what they were doing. But it looks, I think it looks fantastic. 
Um, it's really clever special effects that um, now would just be done by some nerd in a computer room. Sure. It would just be it would just be one of us sitting in front of a computer uh, doing something, and it, it wouldn't look half as good. Uh, it really wouldn't. And there's lots of um, prop work in this movie. There's lots of televisions that throb and cassette tapes that that undulate and have veins. Um, that when when uh, the shooting rampage is going on, James Wood's hand uh, gets sort of enmeshed with the gun and bolts of metal it's very tetsuo iron man um for anyone interested in japanese cinema which one day maybe we'll do that or the sequel on this uh podcast let us know if you want us to because those are those are great films as well but really good special effects the kind of stuff cronenberg is is probably most well known for are in this movie and personally um i miss practical effects i don't think i'm alone in saying that while they sometimes are actually more expensive and they're difficult and time consuming, having a physical latex prop is so much more engaging than having um, 100% 3D. And if you augment those physical props with 3D, it's fantastic. You can, you can do amazing things. Uh, watch I think, Jurassic Park. I, I think part of the problem with uh, modern directors trying to do practical effects, I think Star Wars is a good example of this, is they have millions of dollars to throw at practical effects, whereas the best practical effects were some guy, someone handing a bunch of crap to, uh, to a person going, you have, I gave you 500 bucks of shit, now make it look weird. And people did yeah. it. Yeah. You, you have to be the most creative with the least amount of resources, and they don't have that problem anymore. They have whatever they want, and it just doesn't feel the same. And sometimes the the realism and the effect comes from sort of the innate shittiness of something too, right? Exactly. Like, um, like in the cathode ray mission, um, when when Woods first walks in, the the main room it's like a room and then an overlooking office with like a one or a two way mirror is like it's it's just an empty room that like folding tables have been set up and dividers made out of graffiti cardboard and crap from the alleyway separating these televisions playing whatever they want uh and it's it's really it looks much more like some of the makeshift shelters that i've seen in life versus what i would see in say district nine and no you know no dig at district nine for that but it, it's just a very different vibe it's a very like yeah people have money to do that they don't necessarily have money to make these weird metal bulkheads and shit that don't exist in the real world that some machinist would have to make and would cost so much money. It just, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make realistic sense, you know? Uh, and this, it sort of helps a film like this, which has such insane fantastical elements be disturbing because those insane elements are present in uh, a world where we see very, very real things. Um, so I, I think this is this is interesting uh, talking about this as I babble on about it. I love Videodrome. Sounds like Tad. Sounds like you did, but Greg and Mandy wasn't your cup of tea. I think that those are sometimes the best uh, discussions. So we're going to go right into this with Greg. Who would you recommend Videodrome to, and why? Um, I mean, I will agree with Tad. Like the um, the special effects in this are amazing. Um, if, if you're a fan of practical effects and you're just a fan of kind of cool shit in movies that just isn't done anymore, this is a, a good one. Um, 
if you watched all of Cronenberg's other films or even remotely interested, at least give it a try. There, um, I'm definitely going to go kind of through his catalog and see what else sounds interesting after this. Because I'm like, well, I've seen The Fly. This had things that engaged me. Um, mm. But I want to, I want to see something with a little more, a uh, little more flesh to it. Nah. Oh. Uh, Tad, who would you recommend Videodrome to, and why? This is a. Uh, I, even though I feel this is more of a sci-fi uh, film, this is this is a, definitely a horror film, and I recommend it to people who kind of like that old '80s, you know, Dawn of the Deadish kind of horror. Even though there isn't that much in it, there is enough. Uh, of of the practical effects, especially with the what's his, what's his name that that agent. I'm going to call him Agent Smith now because I have no idea what his name is because he looked like actually Agent Nixon because he looks like Richard Nixon. <laughs> yeah, but um, I, when when, when uh, he gets the, shot, he, he plays he plays uh, Barry Convex uh, is his name right or uh, uh, I forget his first name but Convex is his last name. He's the he's the head of the spectacular optics. It's it's like if yeah if you love those those old almost Tom Savini esque kind of special effects it's like the dude gets shot three times and then starts exploding out with like cancerous tumors and it doesn't stop for like a straight minute he's just like and his head's like splitting open and he's still like gurgling and all that even though James Woods is literally just walking away and he's still gurgling I'm like that guy should be super dead his head's split open he can't gurgle anymore but he still is. And, and it's interesting that particular scene because, and the actor is Leslie Carlson. Uh, he he died in 2014, but he was also very good. He was in a lot of stuff. Uh, he was the Christmas tree salesman in A Christmas Story. Um, uh, he also was in Dead Zone. He's been in a lot of movies. Uh, he was in The Fly too. Uh, Cronenberg liked working with him. But uh, it, it sort of calls back to uh, Professor Oblivion had said that um, Videodrome gives tumors and it causes death, but he doesn't believe it's a tumor. He actually believes it's a new organ and that it's causing a physical evolution in humans. And we sort of get that. We wonder, is, are the, is it some sort of weird hallucination that's causing this body to bubble and degrade? Or is he somehow been changed by the Videodrome himself? It's an interesting touch that isn't really explained. And uh, it's vile. It's a really vile scene. Um, before we go on, I do want to give Leslie Carlson his due and play this great clip from him when he first meets James Woods. Uh, he gives him, he sends a car for him and essentially says, uh, we need to talk since you know about video drama. And here, here's this clip. Max Ren. I'm very convex. I think that machinery you're wearing is too much for the shape of your face. Overwhelms you. Try something more uh, spidery, more delicate. I just love the way that he's talking about glasses. Like James Wood has walked into the glasses store after hours waiting for him, and he puts on a pair of really bizarre, super 80s glasses. And he goes, I think that machinery, and it's just that weird little touch, the language that he's using is just so in keeping with the strangeness of the film because we don't think of glasses as machinery. But Mandy, as a mechanical engineer, maybe you'd have a take on this, but it does, if we talk about our entire ocular structure with glasses, probably is a piece of machinery. Uh, just a strange thought and it sort of ties in with how technology is so utterly ingrained in our lives and becoming a part of it. I thought that that was an interesting mix. Back on track, Mandy, would you recommend this film and to who and why? 
Okay. Um, I mean, there's an audience out there for every film, so I guess you'd recommend it to someone. <laughs> uh, I would say, like, what the guy said. Um, I know that I said it, that this is not for me, but many of the aspects that were discussed today, um, especially concerning the special effects and the open-endedness, the open-endedness of the storyline, uh, I think are really great uh, things to explore. And if, if those are what you like in movies, like this is a great one to check out. And uh, just as a note, I keep saying 1986, Terror Vision is from 1986. Videodrome's actually from 1983, which means it was in production a little before then probably and probably came out after. So it literally is predating the internet completely. It is either contemporary with the internet, yet it still was not public. So this is definitely, it shows how it probably was in our consciousness, our public consciousness prior to the internet actually becoming a thing, which is, makes it super fascinating. Uh, so that comes to me. Who would I recommend Videodrome to? Um, I'd recommend it to people who like odd, as you said, Mandy, open-ended slow burn movies and uh, like cyberpunk. Because even though it's, it's on the early end, sort of a, a, a low age of cyberpunk, I do think it is cyberpunk. That, that melding of technology, especially if you're kind of an old technology fan. Um, I know we've got a lot of VHS fans out there. Uh, it, it really is... If you haven't seen it, you owe it to yourself to do that. Um, if nothing else, you definitely have to uh, sort of give it a, give it a watch uh, and see if it is your cup of tea or not. Uh, so that's it for Videodrome. We're gonna move on to our next film, Terror Vision from 1986. Terror Vision from 1986 is directed, as I said, by Ted Nicolau. Um, we've done uh, his movies before. We did Bad Channels, uh, which was by him. And I, this was before Bad Channels, but I definitely think that people who like Bad Channels will probably really like Terror Vision. Um, Tad, you saw Bad Channels. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. This movie was, for me, kind of like the movie of my childhood, and I don't mean that as in like it represents my childhood, this movie feels like my childhood. And it was in 86. This movie came out in 86, right? Yep. But I'm thinking of like the early 90s where I spent so much time just in, you know, basements watching old movies and all that. And, and, and everything was highly colored. Everything was weird. Everything was an animatronic weird puppet thingy. <laughs> It's like, it, yep. it just, it had the exact vibe that coalesced everything that I remember about the early 90s. And this movie even predates it. Totally. So this, so to get everybody on board, Terror Vision is a movie uh, set in sort of a weird 19, it's 1980s, but it's also sort of like a cookie cutter 1950s, but like everything looks like it's supposed to be 1950s, 1960s, um, but it's really sordid and not kid friendly, even though everyone is sort of goofy. Like if you remember back to Edward Scissorhands, how all the houses look the same, everything's prefab, everyone's wearing pastels. Uh, it's like that, but with a, not, as Tad said, like an early nineties vibe. Um, like the mom's workout gear is geometric shapes. Um, the house of the family where all this takes place is covered in like um, uh, erotic paintings that are like Nagel's paintings, those famous 80s paintings that are in every hair salon and nail salon across the country. Um, the, the plot to get people on board 
is that there is this seemingly typical um, family with a young son, probably eight, I think, somewhere around there, nine, I don't know, not a good judge, but somewhere in there, a teenage daughter uh, who's into the new wave punk scene, wears all bracelets and everything, uh, a mom who is uh, played by the genre legend Mary Warnov. Uh, she's been in so many things, Blood Theater, um, uh, Chopping Mall was probably my favorite, even though she's only got a little part in that. Um, and then uh, the father is played by Garrett Graham, who is probably most well known for Child's Play 2. He plays the dad, but he's been in everything. He was in uh, Beef in the Phantom of Paradise, lots and lots of stuff. Now, one cool note, especially since uh, the new Bill and Ted movie came on streaming fairly recently, is the daughters played by Diane Franklin that people might recognize as Princess Joanna from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure back in 89. I was um, watching this with my wife and I was like, guess who that is? And she had no clue. I'm like, that's the princess from Bill and Ted. She's like, what? Yes, yes. Um, and uh, it also, the, the boy, the little boy is Sherman. And I always liked to remember him as the voice of Charlie Brown in Happy New Year, Charlie Brown from 86. So <laughs> he literally was Charlie Brown the same year that he was in Terror Vision. Uh, that makes me happy. Um, John Grise also is in it as the punk boyfriend OD. OD, that's OD. amazing. And uh, and he was in Napoleon Dynamite as Uncle Rico. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> so the you have this family. Uh, the dad is installing a new satellite dish. So they can get lots of channels. And at the same time as he gets it up, a way across in another galaxy, uh, some alien trash dump accidentally beams this giant. Um, television traveling man-eating monster uh, ping-ponging across the galaxy into this guy's satellite dish so what happens is it, he sort of sort of possesses the tv systems and the satellite dish and he shows up on the tvs and comes out eats someone and goes back in um, at the same time as the tv uh, keeps getting channels or getting a signal from that planet where the guy who was supposed to send this monster off into the nether regions of space is like Beware, Earth people. Take down your satellite dishes, blah, blah, blah. Um, there's also a crazy grandpa uh, who's played by Burt Remsen, who is yet another legendary um, uh, character actor. Um, he's been in lots of stuff. He was in Dick Tracy, uh, Clueless. Um, he's been in so many things. Uh, great actor. Super awesome. He plays this curmudgeonly yet... Uh, grandson loving survivalist who has like a bunker in the house filled with explosives and weapons and confederate flags and uh and he it's has I, I yeah right the, so here's the thing i love that on the door with all these pictures written in marker there's um there's there's it's, it's like run somewhere else but then the other one is the other thing written in marker is steal from someone else <laughs> like <laughs> and it's just and he's got all these survival books and a star wars puzzle i think at one that was a weird little thing tucked in there don't know the the importance of that anyway the family doesn't believe uh the kid when the grandpa gets eaten and then of course everyone one by one sees the monster and the monster can uh eat people and then use their heads and their voice to kind of trick other people um, I think the, the one thing missing out of the synopsis is that the monster is a physical, practical effect. It is giant. It is the size of like, I don't know, three Daleks from Doctor Who put together. 
maybe I don't know what else, like a golf cart. It's maybe the size of a golf cart, and it's it's totally just a mass of wet meat with uh, a giant tentacle eye and uh, and big teeth. And it has this hand-like tongue, which is probably a hand, that comes out of its mouth and it can suck things into it from a distance. So that's really the movie in a nutshell is this family uh, realizing that the monster is real and then trying to defeat the monster with uh, no success. Mm -hmm. Am I getting that right? Does anybody have any other? I have a, uh, I have a, oh, I have a theme for this movie, but I will wait. I will let everybody else talk first. Uh, I was going to say, you forgot the most important part of the movie is that the parents are swingers. Fuck. Yes, yeah. I did. Yeah. So, so that's the, the level, right? Is that they, everything seems normal. And then the parents are like, okay, we're going to go out and swing tonight. So you guys be in bed because we're no, going to come home with. Not even swing tonight. We're going to yeah. bring them back home. So go to bed. And the entire, I want to know where this house is because I don't think the house is a soundstage. It's weird because it looks like they maybe blacked off um, all around the house because it's like floating in another region, like behind <laughs> the hedges in the backyard. There's just sky. It's really strange. Um, but it looks like an actual house with like a, a tub and stuff or several houses. It's just the weirdest swinger pad. It's all in like really cheesy 80s italian restaurant fashion um with like um but like i said there's erotic paintings on every wall some of which are pretty awesome and like this sort of uh andy warhol-esque vibe and um and of course the kids are just wandering around like like nothing's happened um this is like their environment and uh and the parents of course are just super tr they eventually do come back with a couple and are super trying to get in their pants and there's this um interesting homophobic exchange where they find out that the greek uh man they brought back with his uh attractive wife is uh interested in uh the the husband and not the wife and his ex his reason for that is because i'm greek i like greek things i like boys and you know, i'm like i'm like okay an entire country was just uh, attacked and an entire uh sexual preference and or is an orientation uh, it's not a choice people um has been offended by this like it was just the most and this character has my favorite line in the whole uh movie it's um it's it, the character's name is spiro and it's played by alejandro ray um who acted for many many moons um he was in the flying nun uh, all the way back uh, into the 60s and um this this clip is when um, uh, the parents have shown the swinging couple the pool. And uh, they've also seen Sherman, who's like, oh, there's a monster. And the mom is like, I'm going to smack the shit out of you. You go hang out with grandpa. And he, she throws him in the bomb shelter and locks it. Of course, there's potentially a monster in there. But they go back and they're showing the pool. And they're like, your kid was cute. Uh, has you ever thought about acting? And this is to set this up. This is their conversation. The only thing the kid is interested in is being a soldier. Oh, such a manly pursuit, raping and pillaging, creating life and taking it away like the god of the ancient Greeks. Oh, hey, guy. I mean, I'm a lover, not a fighter. 
So in case you couldn't understand that heavy accent, he's like, oh, the life of a soldier, raping and pillaging, creating life and taking life. I'm like, that is the weirdest segue to a swing party I could possibly imagine. There's so much bizarreness in this movie. Um, and that's that line uh, is my favorite because it's just you're like, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess that's what's happening in this movie. Um, and... I, I think that it's sort of this kind of dialogue as well as like the insane set and, and the, the nude pictures and like the, the crazy uh, juxtaposition between like the, this, this sort of nuclear family and this uh, unsavory quote unquote or just downright weird um, situation that, that they're put in. It makes the film seem completely unreal. Whereas Videodrome starts itself off like in like, this is the real world. Here's some sort of gritty reality. Uh, Terror Vision from scene one is like, this is, this is insane. Um, it's gonna be goofy. Uh, don't get attached to anyone because none of this matters. Just enjoy the ride. Uh, I don't know if anybody else felt that way, but the scene, I mean, the movie does open with a, a like, shot of a miniature you know scale city on another planet and it's like trash dump or like municipal waste plant or whatever and this guy zapping this monster through space and then which then the signal the illustrated little animated signal bounces between planets with like pinball sounds and then before it gets to the, the satellite dish on earth so it's like they don't waste time telling you exactly what this movie is going to be like and i, I appreciate that it too I, Oh, Mandy, what were you going to say? I was just saying that I appreciated it as well. And I did enjoy the ride. The whole thing was ridiculous and awesome. And I loved every minute of it. <laughs> I, I feel like comparing this with, um, with Videodrome is like um, uh, Tommy Wiseau's The Room, where, where, where like he, he, he says, like, oh, yeah, I was really inspired by it. it was either, I think it was Rebel Without a Cause. It was, yeah. Yeah, and it's like if Videodrome is Rebel Without a Cause, then Terrorvision is 100% The Room, where it, it's just this like crazy, crazy fucking film. Um, I I loved it. Um, I loved it a lot. Um, I think the only downside for me was honestly, um, I I didn't want the plot to happen, like the monster. Right. That that was like the slow part. I was like, no, like I want to see more of this family, yeah. and like let's rewind. <laughs> and I want to see a week. I just want to see a week of what this what family is, is like. I wanted yeah. to see like the Adams Family series of this family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it would be a fantastic series. You know, like the Puttermans is what I think their name is. Um, just the Puttermans. And it's just, you know, Grandpa's escapades, like trying to sell, he sells lizard tail jerky because they grow them back. So it's the perfect yeah. survival food. <laughs> so like they're constantly offering people lizard tail jerky. And um, and there's also, we didn't mention Medusa, the character. Uh, oh she's my God. An, an yeah, Elvira, like how did you Elvira. not mention her in the synopsis? Yeah, like, she is an Elvira knockoff that is keeps coming on the TV and, um, and offer, and, but she's an Elvira knockoff who between episode, like between showing the show, like the movie that she's showing invites people to call her like off the air for some unknown reason and the kid like calls and she's like i don't you know like you're are you in a psychiatric ward or whatever but eventually they sort of the kids the parents have they don't know that they've been eaten but the parents have been eaten the grandpa's been eaten um the the like satellite dish dealer has been eaten uh they sort of tame 
this monster, right? Because, spoiler alert, you find out that these were pets on another planet that eventually mutate and become monsters and have to be shot into space. And, uh, and you get this moment where um, the monster is, seems to be learning, like, oh, this is food, this is music, this is TV. And, uh, and then they call Medusa at that point. It's like, hey, we, we need him on TV. We're going to make money with him. And she actually shows up drunk later because they tell her it's a party. Right. And she has these ridiculous, I'm, I'm not saying this to body shame. Uh, she's a very pretty lady, but her breasts are ridiculous in the way they have them. Right. They're, they're like, they're pressed up so much that it's the shelf, you know, like she could rest her drink there. So it's so distracting. And of course that's the point. Um, yeah. But it's, it's, it's the Elvira bit, but it's just a and, strange. And doesn't she live there? Like that's like the implication is she lives on the set because yeah. like she like yeah. she like closes herself in this coffin and then like oh shit that's right the phone's ringing better crawl out of my tomb and like and then she tells her assistant to grab her a beer yeah. like and it's just and then she's gonna get to parties and it's and yeah her call in line is still open when the show's over like she the the, the weird that's the most insane part about this movie is that maybe second I'll get to the first but the most insane part is that this this TV hostess is taking calls but not on the air for no reason. And you can call her after the show's over at the same number and she answers the phone, like, and it's an 800 number. Like, <laughs> you don't even, her character was totally out there. Um, the most, so here's something, the, the, the little boy when his grandpa gets uh, eaten and the eating was awesome because it's not just like eating, it's sort of like a spider, right? Like it clamps onto them and then it sort of vibrates them and sucks them and goo comes out. And then they just like, they're gone in just a pile of this nasty goo. Uh, and I can't remember what that substance is called that they use in, in all these movies. Alien had it too. It's really viscous and really gross and sticky and hard to clean, but it's all over this movie. Um, oh, it's real. It's just a real thing. They, they have an alien <laughs> that kills people in movies. <laughs> well, so the most unbelievable thing uh, in this movie is that the, the, the kid calls the cops early on and then he calls them again and they're like, I'm going to arrest you. And the cops show up to arrest a white kid oh, that to God. me i was like i was like that's not this is not gonna happen the cops are, are pointing a weapon at a child and he's white this isn't this well, this is the united states people. well he had a he had an assault rifle in his hand and the cop didn't just shoot him immediately <laughs> so i know that's like, the thing and the kid is wandering around with an assault rifle for the entire thing oh and um, a grenade and a grenade sorry um yeah mm. it, it's just it's it's insane and the police officer is horrible he shows up like i mean i, I don't i don't know how many of these like I, all of a sudden, and the, they did it sort of right though, right? Like the police officer is this young guy. He shows up, essentially draws his gun and points it at everyone throughout the entire scene. Here's this explosion from the other room, but then turns to point the gun at the children. <laughs> Who's the worst cop, uh, him or Barney Fife? <laughs> um, well, this guy gets eaten pretty quickly. Um, and as do many people that come in, I want to talk about, we're jumping all over the place, but I want to talk about the grossness of the pool. At one point, the people are killed in the pool and there's just this, I don't know what effects, like what they put in the water. It looks like people just barfed in the water, like a lot of them. And it's just these floating miasma in the pool. And I, it's just, it's really gross. And at one point, one character, Spiro, uh, he's like, let's do a quickie with his wife while they're waiting for the, the parents to come back with drinks. He like pulls, what's this? And he has this, just literally just a handful of stage goop. And he's like, maybe it's uh, the sex lubricant. And he's just running. It's the most insane before he's eaten. Um, and it's just the most like, 
my wife said it and it's, it's the thing you really don't know where this movie's going at any point in time they literally keep throwing new things in and as much as uh alien tormenting a family uh and coming through the tv is not necessarily something that's original it's i i never know what's going to happen you know when medusa actually shows up you're like okay i didn't expect that to happen um and it, i just i was all, all right i saw this movie on sci-fi channel two decades ago maybe uh no longer than that three decades 30 years ago uh almost uh when i was probably too young to really Man, but you, it's like you were way young it's like a cartoon <laughs> i'm gonna have like, to talk to your mother uh but it's like a, i mean sci-fi channels so they took away everything interesting but it's like a cartoon like this film is like a slapstick cartoon um with swingers and um machine gun toting conservatives and um really crappy satellite dish repair people uh you see what i was talking about about how this was like my childhood dude this is literally a live action nicktoons before the nicktoons even existed mm -hmm. it's like it, it could almost market itself as a kid's movie except for all the violence and sex right it's 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 an episode of rocco's modern life is yeah, really but, what it yeah is. exactly and uh and i i absolutely was entertained throughout the whole thing we're also my favorite part is the monster um when he's gonna eat something, he literally goes, um, nom, 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 nom. Oh, just constant. And he has this big flapping Pac-Man mouth with tons of teeth and slime. And I'm like, it's before nom, 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 but it's essentially just, um, nom, 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 nom. and it's just that over and over again. He does it every time. Like, it's not just a one time. Like clearly they were like, this is a choice. We're gonna do this choice. And he's just gonna um, nom, nom it the whole way. Um. The, you know my favorite part what's your favorite part my favorite part was when like the daughter comes home and like she goes into her parents bedroom <laughs> like, like she's like looking for them and like everyone's been eaten by the monster like the monster's in the bed and it like pukes up the heads yeah it's so, just the like, heads above the thing so like but it looks like her parents are have the swing couple in bed with them and she's like like Mom, you're so embarrassing. <laughs> like you're so gross. And then she's like, "We're looking for Grant. Have you seen Grandpa? Like, where is Grandpa? He's missing. Like, you guys don't seem to care." And then like the monster like is like, "Oh, uh oh!" Like he pukes up like the father's head. The grandpa comes out. He's like, "I'm right here, honey. I'm right here." <laughs> and they're all slimy. Like they're just stupidly slimy. And like like the like the daughter's reaction is just like oh it's I, just so funny like, i give some of that um that greek sex lube on them oh, <laughs> right, it's all over and, and it really like, is and i give ted nicola credit for not including semen jokes because literally everything is gooey in this movie it's really gross like everything is covered in this viscous translucent slime um faces hands uh mm -hmm. props every the floor the carpet the floor, that carpet yeah. you gotta tear that out like that's just that is not gonna that's survive done. you may need to see a doctor if that's what it looks like mm -hmm. um and this was this is a a, a citizen reviewer uh basil 1984 on uh imdb gave uh a snippet of review that I really liked. Uh, it's an off-the-wall comedy that feels like a 1950s monster movie starring Leave It to Beaver as filtered through Adult Swim. And I'm like, yeah, that, mm -hmm. that's, that's pretty close. Um, I guess I also really like, so this is a spoiler as well. I, I don't think it matters because I don't really think the plot actually has anything to do with this movie. Um, the, the, the monster wins. And I really enjoyed that 
creative touch, right? Because he's heading to, he's basically part Medusa. He's got Medusa as well. And he's like, mm-hmm. jumps in the car with the, her assistant and is like, take me to the TV station, which is essentially, right? Like potentially the end of the human race. You know what I mean? Um, although you don't know, it's only one monster. Uh, but it's, I, I enjoyed that because he was actually the purest character in the thing. Everyone else is pretty awful uh, when you come right down to it. The parents are not nice to the children. The daughter doesn't even care that she, their first thought and the little boy is, uh, holy shit, this monster's ours. We own him. We can make money. And, and that's like the point where you're like, all right, everyone can just, can just get eaten and that's fine. <laughs> and they do. I'm like, it's, it's so rare that a movie gives me exactly what I want um, that I'm, I'm kind of flabbergasted when the end comes and, and that's what it is. I think when comparing this movie to Bad Channels, um, Bad Channels is really like a, it's just like a framing, a flimsy framing story around uh, music videos. And that's not what this is. This is solidly um, a movie that feels like a skit based movie because little things happen um, throughout it. Uh, like this scene, this scene, like, oh, we're teaching the monster what food is. Oh, we're doing this. Oh, we're doing this. And then um, now it's back to chasing us. So it's like these little skits that play out, but I found them satisfying. And I do think as we kind of talked about, and as you, Greg and Mandy mentioned with Videodrome, I think the pacing of this movie is right. Um, I'm never left long to think about anything. Um, there's always some new bizarreness. And when I think it's going to happen exactly the way it is, it doesn't always happen that way. Um, even though I'm like, oh, this person's probably going to get killed. Well, they are, <laughs> but it's going to be a little different than you think. Um, we grew up on liquid television. I think that uh, synopsis you gave was incorrect. They said through the lens of adult swim, and I think that's way too contemporary. You're right. You got to put these movies in the context of the time they were made. This was, this was, um, this, this was a like, flux shorts and exactly. the head and yeah. the weird shit. It's like, it doesn't matter if there's a plot or not. Let's just get as, let's just get weird. And it worked great. But, um, that, that was, that was the feeling I had the entire time again, why I was like, this is like my childhood because this was kind of like an archetype that thing. You, you, like you want a series about this family. It should have been a liquid television show. Yeah. It, when I, it was still true. around. Um, that's true. And I think there's, so we also should mention the theme song to this movie uh, called Terror Vision. It was pretty banging. <laughs> it's awesome. It's by the Fibonacci's, uh, the Fibonacci's band. And I, I recommend listening to it. They actually did a lot of soundtrack stuff in the 80s uh, and it, for some other movies that are worth, are worth checking out. Um, but it's, it's this, it's just a total new wave post-punk uh it's not a it's not a not an epic but it's it's a it's a horror theme by way of the b-52s actually um yeah my wife said uh rock lobster she's like this sounds like rock lobster i'm like it's not but i see why you get that yeah it's very much the party music vibe from that era okay so we are uh coming to that point in time where we're gonna ask each and every one of us who would we recommend this movie to and why? Tad, who would you yeah. recommend Terror Vision to and why? Everyone in the MTV generation. It is a travesty that I missed out on this movie when I was young because this movie is entirely indicative of those of us that grew up on MTV. 
This is, I mean, one, the uh, Susie's eye makeup is absolutely on point. I could not Thank believe you. how yes. amazing it Fantastic. was. Like, there, are, there are people out there trying to emulate that stuff right now and they don't even know where they're getting it from. Like they already mastered this in the 80s. Yes, um, totally agree. Remember that theme that I was talking about? By the way, um, before, <laughs> before we right. get any further, this movie to me was kind of an allegory on um, extreme sexual deviancy, deviancy, which kind of ties into video drama. I don't know if you did it on purpose or not, but it kind of explored the same themes of pursuing- Everything's on purpose. I know, I'm sure it is. <laughs> that, that pursuit of extreme stimulation, um, I, w I totally thought that this movie was gonna bait and switch me when uh, the parents said, oh, we're going swinging. And then he said, oh yeah, swing dancing. And I was like, oh, I see what they did. And then they're actually swinging. And I'm like, oh my God, they actually, they're actually doing this. And throughout the entire movie, I realized these parents are basically abusing their children. Yeah. Not through what they're doing. I don't really judge them for what they're doing, but the fact is that they're being so open and exposing their children to it. And their children are absolutely repulsed by it. And it explains why, you know, the, the, the younger one latches onto his grandpa, who's basically like, you know what, <laughs> compared to this, I'd rather be in a bunker with some guns and, and grenades. Mm, yep. But I mean, the daughter definitely rebels a little bit against it too. She's like, what the hell are you all doing? That's gross. Yeah. The daughter who took her boyfriend home to mess around and I know. her boyfriend just wants to do pills, but it's true though, right? Like, you know, it's that whole, like, you want your parents to be a little <laughs> different than you, or you want to be different than your parents. Yeah, I, know. I don't want to bang three people at the same time. I just want to bang one dude and do some drugs, like a yeah. proper uh, Gen Xer. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, that is very accurate. That is very accurate. And just as a, as a note, because I didn't mention it earlier, um, the, the other swinger uh, opposite of, of Alejandro Rey is um, uh, her name is Randy Brooks. And she did a lot of these. She has a very high voice, sort of a Columbia, uh, Columbia kind of voice. And she's pretty well known uh, in the 80s. She was also Fran in The Man with Two Brains. I think that's what most people might remember her from with Steve Martin. Uh, totally, totally a great character actress. She really, she sort of takes over the scenes because she has this like face breaking smile and this really high voice. Um, okay, Greg, who would you recommend this movie to and why? Um, when I was watching it, I actually was thinking a lot about uh, Black Dynamite. Um, yeah. Obviously day and night plots, but that same kind of self-awareness, it knows how to pace itself. It just kind of, it, just tries stuff it throws jokes at you um like tad like you said with the swingers bit um and like manny you brought up with the grandpa in bed with them like it oh, just, that moment it, it just kind of um i think it accepts itself as it is like in terms of writing and i love that um also yeah uh, i i'm utterly appalled that we did not mention jennifer richards as medusa sooner that was absolutely wonderful it, she she was fantastic and she really um my wife said this and it's totally true it worked because no actor in this was not willing to ham it up to the same level like everyone is like oh that's this yeah let's do it let's do it um it's totally totally the 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 vibe um and of course jennifer richards also has been in many many things um not probably as well known as uh, some other actors of her era but um i think 
COD uh, is probably one worth watching with Chris Lemon. So uh, give give that a listen. Give that a watch. Like you said, you, I think the uh, I think the monster with the straight man of this movie, if there is one. <laughs> yes, totally, absolutely, absolutely. Mandy, who would you recommend this movie to, and why? All right, so um, I think like a lot of like trends in uh, like uh, sorry like fashion stuff like comes back around. I think like our generation growing up in the 80s and early 90s, like we have this appreciation for like the weirdness of all of it. And I think millennials are really coming back to that because they have like the most bizarre memes and like humor that like even I don't get like, and it's just very out there um, and strange and like, um, like, like a dream world kind of like things are very like loosely put together or just totally bizarre. Um, and like that's what makes them funny and I, I honestly think like younger kids or like younger folks these days um, they really really like this and it might be something that they're not necessarily going to find or be exposed to otherwise but they could dig it like it's coming back full I think you're I think you're right and uh, it's it's worth noting that this movie is rated R but really I mean that's it it might be PG thirteen at some point because the the there's the only real nudity is in the very abs you know very cartoonesque paintings uh, in the house and there are a couple of scenes on the TV of uh, an orgy scene which by the way it's only a few seconds long and also they did an amazing job of finding a scene that has no penises nipples or vaginas in it like there I don't know how many bodies are in that shot and you don't see anything. So that was really impressive. Um, and, I, and I kept watching it thinking this, you could show this to your eight-year-old. Like they may not, I don't know if they like it or not, um, but you know, definitely your 12-year-old might enjoy it because it's goofy, it's, it's monster gory, but there's no real, there's no blood. It's always this ooze. Um, and people, even the people in danger are, are comedic. Um, you know, people, especially when the parents, when the parents die, the, the sort of camera back and forth between them screaming and backing up and the monster going, I'm nom, nom, coming closer. Like just, it, it's, it's, it's slapstick. It's very slapstick. Uh, so yeah, I completely, I completely agree with that. For me, I would recommend Terravision to, um, as Tad said, as Mandy said, great children of the nineties, uh, are really going to like this. And the fashions are pretty great. Uh, they're very bold. They're over the top. They're, they're that escalation of fashion to costume um, without being cheap. And I think that that's, uh, that's worth seeing, if nothing else. Plus, I am obsessed with the, the gaudiness of this swinger pad. It's just so, so over the top. Everything is like soft reds and marble. And um, at one point, they, they're supposed to have, uh, Sherman throws a grenade and it blows up part of the wall and it's like solid concrete, like all the way through. I'm like, that is a weird ass house. Uh, so I don't, I don't know how that plays, but uh, yeah, I'd recommend, <laughs> I'd recommend it. Uh, this, this film was a lot of fun. If you want something that is not heavy on the thinking, um, but it still can be talked about. So- I'll also yep. for you Marvel conspiracy theorists, this could be part of the MCU because I'm pretty sure that the alien race that released this monster accidentally is a scroll. He does look kind of like a, <laughs> a scroll. I see that. Exactly like a scroll. Yeah, he does. He's a little blue. Uh, but yeah, I think he could be scroll. 
Skrullix. And you know what? It's it would fit right in with uh, some bizarre ass Squirrel Girl story or something where they're like they're like ah continuity. Okay, so. That is it for this episode of Cult and Class. I want to again thank Greg Johnson, Tad Mastroni, and Mandy Longley, and I am Nate Wyckoff here. To play us out, as always, is the Chud. Want to remind everyone that we have our Patreon up at patreon.com slash cult and classic podcast. That is patreon.com slash cult and classic podcast. You can donate to us. It really helps us out, lets us know uh, that you like what we're doing. Also, we still take requests uh, for movies and other things at cultandclassicpodcast at gmail.com. And we hope you guys have a great day and enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Cult and Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me. What's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.